Cloud Talk Live. I'm your host, Jeff Deverter. Now here at Cloud Talk, we strive to help decode the ever-changing world of technology to help you apply it to your business so that hopefully you'll have one more tool in your arsenal to help you improve your business and those around you. Now this recording is from our Cloud Talk Live event, which happens almost every Tuesday and Thursday at 8.30 a.m. Central Time on the Rackspace LinkedIn, YouTube, and Twitter accounts. Be sure to come and watch us there and join the conversation live with us in real time. Your participation helps drive the conversation. Now, let's get on with today's show. I'm getting over a little cold. I feel fine, but I do not sound fine today. Well, folks, coming up, we've got Earth Day <coughs> here in April, uh, and uh, the United States celebrates that. And it is an amazing thing to think about how we can utilize all of the things in our lives to help make sure that this world, well, sticks around while we're here, but especially for those that are going to come after us. And more and more, technology is a piece of how that happens. And the way that we address technology is absolutely a key in figuring out how we make these solutions that are sustainable in the long run. Now, Mohammed or, or Mohasen has already figured it out. He knows the routine around here. Introduce yourselves, folks. I forgot to say that. Maybe I am a little foggy from that cold I had. So go ahead, introduce yourselves. Hey, Susan's here. Glad to see you, Susan. And uh, introduce yourselves. Tell me who you are. Tell me where you are. And uh, we're uh, really excited to have you here today. Now, more than that, I'm excited to have our CTO of Rackspace here. His name is Srini Kaushik. Srini has a, uh, a long uh, history in technology. He's been on the podcast before. He's been on this live stream before. We will address a little bit of his technology history. But all of that as we move forward in figuring out how we use technology to help make this a more sustainable type of a world. Now, I've got a fancy microphone here. I'm also out in the country. You may hear a, a rooster. He's outside my window trying to uh, trying to trying to get my attention, I think, and wants to be a wants to be a podcast star. Well, with that, Daniel, let's go ahead and bring up Serenity on stage. Serenity, welcome to uh, welcome back, I should say, to Cloud Talk Live. Jeff, uh, thanks for having me back. Uh, it's a it's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. So, Srini, I, I bragged a little bit about you and your, your career. Why don't we uh, just, just kind of give everybody a little understanding of where, how, what brought you here into Rackspace? And I know one of those, those employers that is of note is IBM. You spent a little bit of time there. Yeah. Well, um, I, you know, very, very quickly, uh, you know, it's 35 years even going quickly was going to take up time, right? But, but uh, I am at, at at the core, a technologist. I started my career as a technologist and a software architect, and I'm proud to say 35 years later, I'm still a technologist and a software architect. Um, and that journey has taken me through, um, you know, four stints as CIOs at, uh, CIO at, at, at uh, various organizations, Fortune 100 organizations and others. Um, you know, my fourth stint being right now, um, all of IT and information security and everything else rolls up through me here at Rackspace. Uh, but, but in addition to that, I've um, done a startup, um, had, had a good exit uh, from the startup, and I've also been at, um, you know, really my, I, I built my technical chops in the IBM of the olden days, right, like where really uh, it was very much focused on technology. It's actually, by the way, on, on the IBM front, it's great to see Arvind, bring back the technical mojo at IBM. So that's kind of a little bit of my background. 
Um, I, I came here to Rackspace because Rackspace is an iconic brand, right? Like it's, uh, you know, we, we, our history and our legacy is of technology innovation, of open source uh, in those areas. And as the world has changed around us, we have to evolve and we have to kind of still figure out how to be relevant in today's world. And that challenge is exciting. And I've been here now for about 14 months and, uh, you know, every every day feels like a new day. Every day really does. Now, folks, when, when Srini says that he is still a technologist at heart, what you don't see necessarily, if you go out and you, uh, you check him out on LinkedIn, what you'll find is certification after certification. And these aren't certifications from 10 and 20 years ago. He is uh, staying current with all of the latest technologies, whether it's hyperscalers, whether it's data, whether it's security, fill in the blank. Srini's got his, his finger on the heartbeat of what's happening. Now, Srini, that brings me to the maybe the first technology point. And there's a stat in a deck that we share when we talk about multi-cloud. I want to talk about multi-cloud for just a second. And it's a stat that, that I believe it's 81% of companies have a multi-cloud strategy. And this is driving us towards sustainability in the, our conversation of the morning. But I think it's important for us to talk about, the, about what multi-cloud is and why companies have a multi-cloud strategy. Well, uh, you know, not to sound again like that old guy, but, you know, 35 years ago when I started everything, all computing was in one box on a mainframe, right? And you could pretty much do everything you needed on that front. And you fast forward through the last 35 years, we've kind of gotten to the point where computing has found the right place for it to live, right? Like not everything belongs on the mainframe. So, you know, it's kind of evolved. We went through the whole client server revolution to the last decade where it's been focused on the cloud, right? And so on the cloud, you know, what cloud enables is just innovation at, at a speed we've not seen before. Um, you know, companies that were limited by how they can enter into a market because of the extensive capital requirements can actually get in and put a solution out there. So what that means for us today is you have some phenomenal choices for where you can run your workloads that actually, you know, are uh, you find the right home for your workloads is the way I talk about it. But in addition to that, for those uh, applications and solutions that you don't need, you're able to go back in and pick them up from a SaaS provider, like you know, whether like people pick up a lot of HR stuff today from places like Workday and UKG, right? Like they uh, pick up a lot of the uh, sales and marketing capabilities from Salesforce or offer IT capabilities from ServiceNow. So what that's done is as a CIO, uh, you are by definition operating in a multi-cloud environment. That's right. You, know, you may have your own workloads running on a hyperscaler. You have other workloads that you're running in a private cloud uh, uh, environment, and you're sourcing some of the other workloads from these SaaS providers that are running in their own cloud environments. Yeah. So the ability to manage and run that is is almost table stakes for today, and that's why you see that high of a number, eighty plus percent saying they operate in a multi cloud environment. This episode of Cloud Talk is sponsored by Cisco AppDynamics. Technical environments are getting more complex, and Cisco AppDynamics is helping to cut through the noise. Their full-stack observability solutions help make every tech decision a business decision and keep everyone all on the same page. AppDynamics software enables deeper understanding of both user and application behavior so that your teams can see 
share, and take action all in real time. Just go to appdynamics.com to learn more, schedule a live demo, or even start a 15-day free trial to see the difference for yourself that Cisco App Dynamics can make in your mission-critical applications. All right, with that, let's get back to the program. That's right. And one of the things that that does is when there when there is so much technology on the menu and a technologist has all of these tools in the tool chest, they can be lured into. I mean, technologists are technologists. They want to dig in. They want to create hard things, uh, solve hard problems, uh, and they want to create solutions that that really are impressive. And when you have so many tools in the tool chest, it can be alluring to create a very technically complex thing. But that leads us into the first really challenge when we think about sustainability, Serenity, and that is these applications, we've got to be able to manage and run them over time. They need to be able to be sustained by our operations team. Yeah, yeah. that's absolutely true. Um, you know, again, uh, some of the terms I'll use are things that uh, you, many of uh, you have heard me use a lot of times. Uh, a lot of technologists get so fascinated with the day zero and day one activities. That's like right. all of this planning and picking this cool technology and building it out is where all of their energy goes and like the passion goes. They get up at conferences, talk about these things and others. But the reality is if you think about the life, cycle, life, um, life cycle of an application, it starts 95% of it starts from day two and onwards. Like the minute you put it into production, what it does on a day-to-day -day basis is fundamentally what an application delivers to any business and the outcomes that it delivers. So if we get attracted, like you pointed out, if we get attracted to a lot of the latest shiny object, right? Yeah. Or I'm a really smart guy who's building applications. Let me stretch the uh, limit to which I can kind of build these applications and I admire the complexity that I've already built in like or, or that I'm building in. What you're actually doing is you're setting up the organization that you work for for a longer-term failure. Mm. As you may be the smartest person in the room, and you probably are, but others are like, you know, what you've done by picking a more complex solution is you've made it tougher and more expensive to manage. Yeah. But you've also made it more expensive by the fact that you can't find too many skills in that piece, right? And then we come back and complain about things like, oh, there's a talent war going on, right? There's a war that goes on for talent when there's a shortage. And the shortage is actually created by the complexity you've created. Yeah. And once you kind of understand that, you start to build solutions, you start to build applications that are a lot more sustainable in the uh, economic sense of the word, right? They're more sustainable because you not only put something in that adds value to the business, you've made it easier for them to support and maintain it for the longer run. And that's, that's the key thing that, that we got to remember when we build solutions. Yeah, so that is one of the core pillars when we think about what is a sustainable application? What does sustainable IT look like? Now, we're here, Ricard, we're here this, this episode in honor of Earth Day. We've got folks literally from all over the earth who've joined us. There's lots of folks from all over India, some rackers, some non-rackers. Kelly, our new Chief Human Resources resource Officer is here. Kelly, we're so glad that you're here. Can't wait till you're here here. And, um, uh, and, and Boston is here. Houston is here. Qatar is here. Thank you all for, for being a part of it. 
But Serena, let's drive into really when we think about sustainability, when we th- well, everybody's brain goes towards all things green. Let's talk mm-hmm. about how tech is helping things be more green. How are these applications, as we refactor and retool them to better our business, how can we do that in a green way? Yeah. Great point. Um, and then it may be um, <clears throat> surprising for a lot of people listening to a CTO say it this way. The only green technology is when you don't use technology. <laughs> because the minute you start using technology, you're consuming natural resources, you're consuming electricity, power, heating, everything that it takes to run this. And actually, the demands of technology are going up considerably. Everybody loves to talk about generative AI and chat GPT and large language learning models. Yeah. Uh, if people understood the amount of energy that's consumed to actually build and train one of those mm-hmm. models, right, you could power cities for days you know, based on how much energy you're actually using to be able to train that, that model. So, yeah. it, you know, I think it, it helps technologists to keep that in mind, that like anything that we do actually does consume resources. doesn't mean right. you have to kind of completely avoid it. But it's just like what you do at home, right? Like you see the lights that I've got running up there and others, and they're all LED bulbs. I, I like I've got to use uh, I've got to use uh, these uh, these bulbs because again, if it's going to be running all through the day, let me optimize my consumption, right? Yeah. Or or when I leave the room, I turn the switch off, and all the devices that you see in here turn off, right? You know, and and because if you've got like you know most American homes are built without a power switch, so when you have devices like your phone plugged in into the wall, you're consuming ghost power, right? And so there's a certain amount of power that it takes to drive that. So taking things, taking steps like how you are taking it in your own personal world, if you choose to drive a hybrid or an electric, you're making choices to be more responsible with how you consume natural resources. Yes. IT and applications are no different. When mm. you build applications, we, we tend to kind of look at it. This is back part to the, you got to pay attention to the day two and beyond. Right? That's right. They put applications into production. What type of, uh, you know, it's not just economic sustainability that I talked about, but it is also about like how much power is it consuming? Am I actually, have I sized the infrastructure correctly so that I'm only consuming what I need, right? Or as, as opposed to over-provisioning it. Um, and, and even if you're running in a cloud environment uh, with Amazon or with AWS or with Azure or any of those guys, you should be paying attention to which regions get the most uh, clean power from, right? Many regions, GCP, uh, AWS, Azure, they tell you about where they're getting their power sources from. Is it renewable energy? Is it green energy? So there are choices that we can make as applications developers, as infrastructure engineers, that actually consume these resources more responsibly, right? And then, you know, just like I told you, walk out, turn the switch off and go through. If I'm running a dev test environment, am I shutting it down once my developers have left? Or do I keep that running, right? Those are the types of things that we've got to engineer into our applications. We got to think about it consciously as part of the build process and engineer it in, so that you you actually are building resources that actually deliver the benefits because uh, you know I don't want people people thinking I hate technology technology and the advances in technology have delivered so many good things for humanity right and it's going to keep doing that but what we can do is in addition to those benefits it'll be 
pretty cool for if we actually looked at it as in a very responsible way as it uh, relates to our environment and start using it that way. Yeah. So, Cerny, I'm hearing a couple of things as in what you just said. The first is um, we need to look at every resource as a finite resource. Mm-hmm. Um, there is no utility. You just turn the switch and it's always on and there's no impact to flipping the switch. Um, it's just a common sense type of a thing. The second is there really is no magic in thinking about how to create sustainable uh, applications or stuff over time. It's the common sense stuff. I love your analogy. Just as when you leave the room, you're going to turn off the light. If your application's not being used, engineer it in a way that it can turn off the light. Um, it just makes sense. It becomes what you oftentimes refer to as a non-functional requirement. Let's make sure that only the resources that are needed are, are on. The analogy I'll use a lot is I brag about my wife. My wife is an amazing baker and she can make the best cake in the world, but she doesn't leave the oven on 24 hours a day waiting for the moment when she wants to make a cake. She turns the oven on, she preheats that sucker, makes an amazing cake and turns it off. Mm -hmm. And then that I think is an amazing analogy as we think about our applications because these resources are finite. Then there's that level two in that the resources that we're going to use are they the most efficient resources? Should I have an electric oven? Should I have a gas oven? Should I have whatever? Quite frankly, I have a solar power here at the house and I tell her to bake during the middle of the day when the sun is high in the sky and it's free power. So these are the, the I love the thought of let's choose regions for our, our hyperscale consumption that are in areas where there is the most uh, renewable power that's available. And you can actually go one step farther. Like the, I love the way you described the analogy on which type of oven you use and when do you use it. Uh, the same way applications developers, it's not just all on infrastructure. Applications developers can actually, and application architects can actually start putting sustainability first as well, right? And I, I, I go on to LinkedIn and I see every one of these things are microservices this and microservices that and, and others. And don't get me wrong, microservices is one of the most powerful architectures you have. But just like with great power comes great responsibility, you don't throw microservices at everything because what it does is, first of all, it is very powerful. So it also is, when you start thinking about that and the service mesh and everything else like that, the power consumption is higher Mm -hmm. than an event-driven architecture. When you start thinking about serverless deployments and others, when you start thinking about the comparison of, of one architecture versus another, there's actually choices you can make. Like things like event-driven and serverless are a lot more sustainable from an economic standpoint. It's not as complex as microservices. So these things, these choices that we make in how we build systems, how we modernize applications, all matter. And given that we're doing it at this time where we're dealing with finite resources, it's really not a nice to have. It is an imperative. We've got to start thinking about it that way as we move forward. Not only is it, well, let's talk about imperative for one second. And there's another pillar of sustainability we need to get to. But let's talk imperative for a second. Imperative from two dynamics, if not more. The first is how do we make sure that we treat this environment the best as possible? But the other imperative is these are real business drivers. They have a financial impact on how these businesses run. Let's unpack that just for for one quick second. This imperative of making sure that that. And from these, both these angles, both from the environment as well as from, from an economic side on the business. Yeah. So, uh, look, I, I will spend just a little bit more on the economic side of the business, right, like, because it's uh, just think about it this way. You know, I, I love, like, you know, the reading about things and people start uh, the, talking about, 
Look, whenever you have a scarcity problem, <coughs> uh, scarcity drives up costs, right? Like because it's a it's a demand versus supply issue, and and that drives up costs. So when you have a complex architecture that it, only a handful of people understand, right? Like it it drives up the cost of resources. Uh, because there's a scarcity in the number of people who can actually deliver that complex architecture, right? So, so the way to kind of flip that on its head is to flip it from a scarcity problem to an abundance problem. And the way you flip it on its head is by picking technologies that are more inclusive. Yes. Um, so, you know, I can tell you, having worked with so many people over the years, training somebody who's got uh, uh, skills and getting them onto things like serverless architectures and event-driven architectures is far more easier than training them on a really complex, you know, microservices-driven architecture. Same thing applies yeah. to the infrastructure setup and everything else that you have to do. So by making those choices, you're not only doing the right thing from a green standpoint, you're also making the right thing from a, hey, uh, now as an organization, I can go go do things that bring a lot more people into the workforce, right? You know, yes. uh, one of the things that we got, Rackspace got recognized for is uh, in the fall of last year, we ran a AWS certification program thinking that like, look, we'll give another 150 people uh, a way to get into uh, uh, to, to the, uh, you know, amazing world of AWS and how it's growing. And we ran that, you know, the results. We, we thought we were going to get about 103 months we yeah. got over 550 in that time. Yeah. 550 people not at the basic level of AWS certification. This is associate architect and professional architect, and these are really advanced skills to kind of take people through. That's right. Why is that possible? I think you start thinking about the type of solutions you pick. Now you've made more people. You've opened up the opportunity to more people. That's right. Now has converted it from a scarcity problem to an abundance problem. It's the way that, that really is that that third level of of sustainability, that third pillar, and that is how do we ensure that we're bringing as many people along as possible, and that is the right thing to do. Um, but it's also an, an advantage to a business who does that because they ultimately, like us now, have access to more architects than we had before. These right. these individuals have access to a job that is a much more economically beneficial uh, thing to them, and also just as generally helping their career. It helps them become more economic, uh, economically viable into the future. That's right. Um, you know, just making sure that their skills are current and they're relevant as you actually go through. All right. One more quick break from the program. Now, if you've been keeping up with the news this year, you've probably heard that everyone is buzzing about AI. Well, guess what? You can achieve AI success through our transformative process of ideate innovate and industrialize get ready to revolutionize your business with fair the foundry for ai by rackspace at fair we're on a mission to accelerate the secure responsible and sustainable adoption of generative ai solutions across all industries in just three weeks our ideate workshop will empower you to harness the raw power of generative ai Imagine skyrocketing productivity, driving
driving efficiency, and reimagining business models. This is your chance to take the first step in exploring the untapped potential of generative AI for your organization. In these sessions, our team of experts will meticulously evaluate the intended and unintended consequences of integrating generative AI into your operations. We'll ensure that your data quality and integrity are top-notch. And we'll guide you in embedding your company values, fairness, and ethics into your generative AI governance and operations. Through a series of short sprints, we'll identify the most relevant and impactful generative AI solutions tailored specifically for your business. By the end of the sessions, you'll have a crystal clear understanding of how generative AI can revolutionize your organization and how your business goals can be supercharged by AI. So what are you waiting for? Visit us at fair.rackspace.com to learn more and secure your spot in our generative AI ideation workshop. FAIR, driving innovation, excellence, and unparalleled success in the thrilling world of generative AI. And we're doing that in a global fashion. You've seen in the comments here, we've got folks, you know, a 24-month racker from India. You're seeing folks coming in from all over the world. We've got employees everywhere. It's, it's, it, we, we go where the talent is. We go where the opportunity is. But, but what you just described, uh, Jeff, is another scarcity to abundance conversion, right? Like, you know, if we kind of look at it within a certain geography for our skills, then you are always going to be limited by where it is. Like, if you start thinking about it globally as a, a as like, look, the, the human beings are a, uh, it is a replenishable resource. It is a resource that is still, that, that, that's still growing across the globe. How do you kind of expand the opportunity is yeah. a big part of the sustainability uh, discussion. The one piece we haven't touched on, like that I talk about with the uh, sustainability uh, side, the, the three E's that the World Economic Forum talks about. Environmental, economic, and equitable sustainability. And I want to touch on the equitable part because uh, with the growing uh, adoption, fascination, whatever it is you want to call uh, of uh, AI and generative AI that, that we're seeing in the market, it's going to be extremely important that we pay attention to equity. Right. You know, because um, AI, no matter what you're uh, talking about, whether it's machine learning, artificial intelligence, deep learning models, whatever it is, it's built on the information we've accumulated so far. Yes. And whether we, we like it or not, there's biases that are built in into the data that we've accumulated. Right. You yeah. know, the, the most common example people know is we had. Uh, like there's a there's a certain way we score credit risk in the U.S. Mm. and and we've used it for 30 plus years to kind of determine who gets a mortgage and who doesn't get a mortgage. Uh, we, like what interest rate we charge for certain credit scores and other types of things. It's it's a good way of quantifying something that is you know very uh, uh, you know esoteric. Like you know it gives you a way to quantify it. Yeah. But the reality is, like, the inherent biases that are actually built in into the data, well, I'm going to charge you a higher mortgage rate because you live in a certain zip code that has got uh, a, a different piece. That's already baked into the mortgages that were given and not given. So now if you actually have an AI training itself on this data, 
we shouldn't be surprised to see that the AI have some of the same biases we've had over the last few a few years as human beings. So, so it is extremely important as we adopt AI, as we start to look at technology and make technology be accessible to people with disabilities and things like that. The equity piece of it is something we have to do because otherwise we will leave a very large you know, uh, portion of the population behind. Don't think about it as a population you can just serve. We talked about the abundance problem, right? Like if they are doing well, we get more people who actually can participate in this great thing that we do from a technology standpoint. But we got to be really, really careful about the equity side of things. It's very true. Srini, we are coming up on the top of the hour. I know you have a tight schedule. I know our audience has a tight schedule. So I want to thank you for being a part of the program here today. Absolutely want to have you back and continue this conversation. It's not a one and done, that's for sure. Yeah. Same here, uh, Jeff. Happy, uh, I'd be glad to be back anytime. Uh, happy Earth Day, everyone. And let's, let's uh, remember, as Jeff pointed out, it's a finite resource. Let's be judicious about how we use it. And let's, uh, let's do our best as technologists to kind of help, uh, help with the long-term sustainability of the planet. Yeah, and maybe uh, maybe turn off the tech and get outside and get your hands dirty. Go outside and enjoy some earth. Or, or play the guitar. Or play some guitar. Better yet. Better yet. All right. Everybody, thank you so much. I hope you have a great rest of your day. We are back next week. We'll be talking about all things going on with Microsoft and, uh, and what's happening in their hyperscale cloud. So hope to see you then. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Cloud Talk Live. Now here at CloudTalk, we strive to help decode the ever-changing world of technology to help you apply it to your business so that hopefully you'll have one more tool in your arsenal to help improve your business and those around you. Now, this was a live event, which happens almost every Tuesday and Thursday at 8.30 a.m. Central Time on the Rackspace LinkedIn, YouTube, and Twitter accounts. Be sure to watch us there and join the conversation live with us. Now, if you haven't already subscribed, I'd encourage you to do so and maybe even give us one of those five-star reviews. These episodes can be found anywhere podcasts are found. Until next time, I'm Jeff Deverter for Cloud Talk and Cloud Talk Live.